Hey everyone, welcome to Stories from the Influencer Economy. This is Ryan Williams, so glad you're joining us today. It's a sunny 70 degree day in Los Angeles. Hope you're well wherever you are. Excited for episode number 35 with Dan Pashman, my guest who is the author of the best-selling Eat More Better, How to Make Every Bite More Delicious, and the owner, host of the Sporkful podcast on WNYC. Wanted to make another announcement that I've finished my marketing and launch guide for podcasts. It's it's a tip sheet for how to launch your podcast in 2015, separating it from the noise to become an influencer within the podcast industry. So please email me, ryan at influencereconomy.com, ryan at influencereconomy.com, or hit me up on Twitter at Ryan J. Will. Let me know. I'd love to send you the tip sheet and guidebook. It's something I wish that I had when I created my podcast, and it's for you guys that have been emailing me, asking me how to start and create their own shows. Excited for my episode with Dan. He was an amazing guest, very inspiring guy. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Stories from the Influencer Economy. Wanted to say that I'm happy for my next guest, Dan Pashman. He is not only a podcasting guru at The Sporkful, he's also now an author and definitely has created a, a really amazing brand because I find the term foodie completely snobby and Dan has taken that word away from the lexicon of people who consume food and his books and his content is for eaters which I think is a uh, remarkable thing he's an author eat more better is the book and sporkful is the podcast so Dan welcome to the show hey Ryan thanks I uh, want to have you on for uh, a myriad of reasons but the first is you have you're you're a podcasting OG <laughs> and uh and I say that with all due respect. Yeah, no, uh, I, I, uh, I, I'm gonna have to go change my business cards now. And uh, I mean, you're, you're maybe uh, like when NWA was forming and they, you know, pioneered gangster rap. Like I think you go that far back in the metaphorical podcasting world <laughs> because you were uh, you were with Mark Marin back on Air America as a producer, and that was what ten years ago. Yeah, I worked with Mark Marin about ten years ago. I helped launch uh, his first radio show, is called Morning Sedition uh, at Air America Radio, and um, yeah, I, it's funny. I mean, I, I think the, well, the people who are super hardcore old time podcasters are sort of like they've been doing it for seven, eight, nine, ten years. I've been doing it for five years, so certainly way before Serial came out, but. Um, uh, I guess by this point, I am one of the old guys in the in the podcasting room. It's funny. I um, when I was doing my book tour, I was in Seattle and I did a like podcast crossover with these guys, um, Molly and Matthew. That they do a great food podcast called Spilled Milk, and we were teasing each other. We were taping together because our podcast launched at about the same time, and they were a little bit similar. Although over the years, they kind of grew in different, new in different directions. But we were laughing because. It turned out that both of us, when we launched our podcast, saw the other one's podcast, and we were like, oh, crap, someone else is doing this too. And now we can look back and laugh, because actually like we were both kind of ahead of the curve. And, and for you, I think it's cool that you've done this for how many years? Four? Five? Five years, yeah. Five years. What was it like? Cause you, okay, so you're at WNYC, correct? Yeah, uh, a little less than a year ago, last spring, la- May 2013, uh, my podcast was picked up by WNYC, New York Public Radio. Those are the same folks who do Radio Lab, Freakonomics, On the Media, um, and a lot of other great shows. Uh, Longest, Shortest Time, New Tech City, Death, Sex, and Money. Um, I mean, they got like 10 out of the top 100 podcasts. Um, 
dude, that's congrats. Yeah, no, thank you. And that was, I mean, that was a, a huge, a huge thing for me. That's great. Um, I mean, I, I mean it's I, a game changer. Uh, you know, I, I had worked in public radio for a number of years as a producer and sometimes on-air contributor. Um, and it was certainly like one of my long-term goals when I launched a podcast, um, you know, was, be, was to sort of get picked up in some way. Um, and so yeah. to be picked up at WNYC, which is one, like one of the best public radio stations, I think the best in the country, um, was just incredibly exciting. And it's just been exciting to... Um, you know, they've invested in the show. They gave me a producer and a travel budget and things that have allowed me to take the show in a lot of exciting new directions and do things that, you know, when I was doing the show by myself and basically in my basement, um, it was just always a hustle just to get the show on the air every week or two. Now I have a lot more time and I can really plan out what I'm doing and and take more take more time and add more components. And I think there's just a lot more depth to the show I think what I was doing before was cool, but this is like a whole other level. Yeah, so you you have this uh, approach to eating that's pretty funny. I mean, this is like what you do. It is. You have these amazing food dilemmas, and you get guests on like Morgan Spurlock, uh, Amy Sedaris. Uh, you you get people that you know are restaurateurs. It's it's a it's a great variety of topics that I feel like were in your your head, <laughs> and you get this great psychological evaluation of dilemmas like the soggy grilled cheese dilemma right for presenting soggy grilled cheeses and keeping them upright instead of on the plate flat. yeah yeah that's something i talk about in the book how do you come up with this stuff like how did you come up with that um yeah i mean the idea so people know like you know when you take a grilled cheese are are you are you wired are you wired differently (laughs) because i mean some of these you you've done a great job of like almost branding these funny ways of thinking about food I mean, I do generally kind of have an obsessive personality, and I'm the kind of person <laughs> who um just like I'm very curious and I really notice details I notice little tiny details of things that most people probably don't notice um so and and I have little observations about a million other things not food related but i when you combine my personality with the fact that I love to eat and I love food. That's sort of what you end up with is this forkful. And yeah, I mean, a, a lot of the ideas are, are things that I've frankly been thinking about for a long time. Or a lot, and other ideas are just things that sort of like I'm eating. Like I'm just always aware of what I'm doing when I'm eating. I think a lot of people eat mindlessly and I'm always paying attention and always kind of learning. Like I'm always collecting data, basically. You know, every meal is an opportunity to collect data. Like I think I should technically be able to deduct every thing I eat as a business expense. <laughs> Even though I don't I don't if the IRS is listening I don't, but I want you to know that I think I could and I w- and I would be I would be it would be valid. I have always been someone who who had a lot of strong opinions about food and eating. Um you know, it's funny like friends of mine who known me for a long time, they got long ago they got tired of hearing me talk about, you know, the best way to build a sandwich or the best strategy in an all you can eat buffet. And they're like, oh, here goes Dan again with one of his theories. And now they can't believe that I've turned this into a job. <laughs> they can't believe that I'm, I'm actually getting paid for this. You know, they, they think it's one of the funniest things they've ever seen. I mean, the fact that I, I mean, I was famous for my grilled egg and cheese sandwich that in my college days and early 20s, I made every time we'd come home late at night from the bars after drinking too much, I would make grilled egg and cheese sandwiches for all my friends. And I had put great deal of thought into the structure of the eggs and the structural integrity of the sandwich and the best way to butter it, the best way to grill it, and all this. 
and my friends very much appreciated that. That was my early 20s. Fast forward to a year ago, I was making that exact same grilled cheese for Matt Lauer on the Today Show. And I emailed all my friends who I used to get drunk with, and now we're all in our 30s, and we have kids and live in the suburbs. And I was like, you guys are not going to believe who I'm making my grilled egg and cheese for tomorrow. <laughs> but it was a, it's a sandwich technique that I honed over a number of years. The basic idea is that um, I, I like an egg and cheese sandwich with the eggs scrambled. But if you do light and fluffy scrambled eggs and you put those in a sandwich, you may notice, Ryan, that when you bite into that sandwich, what happens to the eggs? Uh, it's, is it cooked fully? It, yeah, if the eggs are light and fluffy and kind of in, like small, in small clumps, you bite into the sandwich and the eggs... They fall out of the bun. That's right. They fall out. So I wanted to remedy that without having to make a sandwich with fried eggs. So I wanted scrambled eggs. So what I did is I take the, fry, the scrambled eggs and I cook them and form them into a patty, a single patty structure. That so you're like reinventing the bun. Well, like it's like it's a... It's almost like what like what McDonald's does, you know, like wh- wh- where the 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 inside of the sandwich is perfectly shaped, you know, and mass produced to be the exact size of the bun, except I'm doing it by hand and with real food, um, and so I, I mold the eggs to be a rectangle, like the shape of a piece of white bread, and then I stick that essentially inside a grilled cheese sandwich, and then I butter the outsides of the bread and grill the sandwich, so you get golden brown buttery crispy bread on the outside and then you get american cheese and and dense tooth sinkable eggs in the inside <laughs> like envisioning this right now yeah. so i'm envisioning this right now and it's making me hungry so uh so then like how do you get a gig on the today show does that does it help having wnyc as a as a employer or partner i mean it certainly it, it helps in general a lot in terms of that in particular that was more because i also so i host these two um cooking channel web series. One is called Good to Know and one is called You're Eating It Wrong. And um, the, the, the one You're Eating It Wrong is especially sort of one that, I, that they really let me create and it's really based on the Sporkful and on my book and a lot of the same crazy ideas we've, we've been talking about here. And um, they were looking for someone to do a segment on how to eat wings. And I, I had a vid- one of the You're Eating It Wrong videos is about that. And so they Googled around. They found the video. And no they, way. And they, they found it. They found yeah. you through YouTube. They found it on Google. They Googled it. They found a YouTube video. They watched it. And they, and they oh, had me so on. Cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So the, the, the team there reached out to you. They're like, hey, Matt Lauer wants to know how to eat wings. So th- was that your first segment? or? Yeah, that was the first time I was ever on Today's show. It was, uh, it, was, uh, it was a trip. I mean, it was nerve-wracking, definitely. But um, but exciting at the same time quite an adrenaline rush yeah no i went i uh, interviewed willie geist for my podcast oh cool and just going through security at 30 rock is intimidating right <laughs> i mean just you have to like get escorted in the building like someone has to walk with you to the elevators i felt like they didn't let you have a, a single minute alone like they wait for you outside the bathroom yeah um, so so did you get did you get a green room where you could like hang out and I mean I I was in a green room it wasn't my own green room it was the I think it was the general green room um who else was on that day oh there were some um some um characters from Sesame Street were on so that was like the most exciting thing because they were the puppeteers were putting the puppets together but it was all behind a curtain and you're not allowed to take pictures of the puppets when they're like you know disassembled because it'll scar children for life or they'll lose their soul. Right, yeah. Um, and then, who are those people? I, I mean, I don't really keep track of the reality stars very well. Um, Bill and Juliana. 
someone or other. Not me, but I imagine they're like on The Bachelor or something. Yeah, or may, yeah, I think they have their own show. Their husband and wife. Anyway, they were on. They came into yeah, the green room. Yeah, my wife's not here. I'm sure she, she would uh, have keen insights into that. Yeah, yeah. Um, they sort of came into the green room with this air of like, we expect everyone in the room to be really excited that we're here. And, and <laughs> I love that. You know, um, we smell like rich, famous people. Um, I so I just kind of ignored them because I could They're tell they in their own fame. Right, right. I could tell that the exact thing they wanted was for me to be excited to be in their presence. So I ignored them. And you have to do the exact opposite. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I did. I was like, I got to go get a bottle of water. Yeah. Hey, can you pass <laughs> me that water? What's that? You're like, hey, can you pass me the water? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, yeah. Totally like, you're not big leaguing them, but you're just approaching it like, dude, I'm not going to feed into whatever ego you have. Right. I mean, if I hadn't been so nervous, I might have been like, hi, my name's Dan. What's your name? What do you guys do for a living? Right. <laughs> but is that something where like, you know, you've, you've got your reps in? I mean, imagine the podcast helps the YouTube channel. Because I think one byproduct of podcasting for me is I think I give a lot better interviews than I would have normally. Like someone just interviewed me today for their podcast and I feel like I knew how to answer questions a lot better because I interview people all the time and I know good answers versus not good answers. Like how, do you think having reps of a podcast and creating YouTube content helped you on a, like a bigger stage? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely, um, you know, kind of having some talking points and knowing what you want to say in a situation is always helpful. Um, you know, I try to kind of have a combination of, you know, knowing the basic points I'm supposed to hit uh, something I mean, like you know, here today you and I are just having a friendly chat. But when you're talking about the Today Show and it's four minutes on live television and you have to hit every single, they were like, like we literally had a conversation before the segment. They were like, you have an, a minute and fifteen seconds to cook the scrambled eggs, and we literally had a debate over whether or not the eggs could be cooked in a minute and fifteen seconds. And they said, we'll crank the heat up so they'll cook extra fast. You know, like th that's the degree of the you know micromanagement of of this kind of segment. So it's it's definitely helpful. But they had me run through it twenty five times with the producers before we did it. I was there the night before running through it, there that morning running through it. Um, so that um, was kind of like I mean it, it didn't make me any less nervous, but it when it actually started there's a certain level of like autopilot that kicks in. And so you just sort of know right. what to expect and you're, um, but you know, I mean, look, talking into a microphone and having conversations on a podcast is not as easy as most people think it is. There was just a, this, <clears throat> excuse me, this horrendous article in the New York times. Well, the whole thing wasn't horrendous, but it was the New York times, uh, opinion piece on Sunday, January 13th. People can Google it. It was about, the rise of audio and audio books and, and talked about serial and it had some just, I can't even believe I'm, I'm, I like it. It irritates me that the editors even allowed it to be published, but this op-ed columnist, I think his name was James Atlas said nowadays, I'm paraphrasing, but only a little bit. He basically said, nowadays, all you need is a microphone and some tech support and you too can make serial. Oh my God. Serial S E R I A L the podcast. Yeah, that's hysterical. I mean, I mean that's literally like be, like saying if you like all you need is a paper and a all you need is a, a yeah. pen and a piece of paper and you can write Hamlet. Right. Or like all you need to do is write a joke and go to an open mic and tell it on stage and you're going to be like Chris Rock. Right. 
Right, you know, like, like, like just, just, like just like, because you can stand on an elevated platform and talk into a microphone doesn't make you yeah. a great stand-up comic. Um, you know, right. like, and there's a million totally. analogies you could draw. And, like, the fact that, and I think that continually happens with audio in particular. Like, people seem to understand that writing, being a great writer, is hard. And they seem to understand that making a great TV show or movie is hard. But somehow just because the technology around podcasting totally. is simple, because I'm sitting right now in my basement in my pajamas as I talk to you, yeah. There's an assumption that like therefore making a great podcast is easy. And it's and by like the way, I love that, that you've had two references to working in your basement. Yeah. Hey. Because that's like that's such a stereotype. Remember when blogging got big a few years ago? Right. And people would say, like, you know, journalists from like the Washington Post or ESPN would say, and then some blogger who lives with their mom writing in their basement thinks they know more than me. Right. Like there's such a stereotype that do it yourself creators, like I think you need to put professional in front of anything you do if you take it seriously, because accessibility is there for podcasting. And yeah, you can totally get a microphone, get editing systems. You know, you can upload to iTunes and get, get your voice out there, but getting it actually heard and people listening to it, like developing an, a community of people that regularly tune in is, is really harder than people would even imagine. Absolutely. No, totally. And I mean, I think if there's one, one thing that I, tell people on, you know, on the topic of sort of growing your audience organically yeah. and especially using social media. I mean, I feel like there's so many social media snake oil salesmen out there. Um, I hate them. And I, I've been to so many of these conferences or, or meetings and, and you get all these people who are kind of like of a certain age that they feel kind of intimidated by technology and by social media. And they all come to the meeting and they're basically just like, tell us what to do. What do we need to type into the machine? What button do we need to press to make the numbers go up? And you got the snake oil salesman who kind of prey on that fear and insecurity that people have. And I think we can all have a certain amount of fear and insecurity that like, you're always going to feel like there's someone out there who's more ahead of the curve, who knows the next big thing ahead of you or is doing this or that more effectively. And you can drive yourself crazy trying to like, figure out the formula and to me it's like barring the the one in a million situation where someone does truly do something that like overnight they become a big hit 99% of the time if you're going to be successful growing your own brand and working independently on uh, you know especially in the world of of media it's like it's just going to take a ton of hard work And, and years and years right and if you're willing to put in the time and effort I mean I worked First two years I was doing the Sporkful as a side project, I probably made a total of like $10,000 in the first two that's years. Not, that's actually not bad. No, it's not bad at all. Like, that's a success I mean, story. That's a, that's a success story. Is a, right. Is a so, like, I made $5,000 a year the first two years, you know. And what did you make money off of, ads? Yeah, ads and, and listener donations. We, we, we got money okay. from listeners, you know. Um, and then, you know, and I, I had very little overhead so that i'm like that was it, all, was it all you all me i mean the, i i used to do the show with a, a guy named mark garrison that i worked with at npr so he uh helped as well and he was sort of my co-host on the air i was sort of the one um in those early days taking the lead running it but he definitely helped um and then he got a great opportunity at marketplace um to go work there and it was around the time that things were turning with the sporkful we got a i had a book deal was offered and so so you got the book deal that three years ago? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, actually, this is a step back. Maybe, and, uh, yeah, maybe it was two and a half years ago. I'd have to... I mean, because this, this has been like what now is a super successful show. 
But I mean, what was it like from like starting five years ago, having a, a day job, like to getting your listener base? Yeah, well, that, that's, that's the thing, you know, it's like we, when, I, when I do one of these interviews and I, and, or I just encourage people, like whenever you hear a story of someone who built their own thing, Wait, you're now lumping me with one of these interviews? Oh, my God. No, no, no. no. <laughs> no I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, yes. It, it, no, yes. The, just like the interview you're listening to right now <laughs> or, or any of the others, and you hear a person like me telling the story of how they accomplished whatever they've accomplished. Talking. You always hear the story, and it's like, well, the first year I did this, and then it was two years of that, and it was a year of that, and here I am four oh, or five yeah. years later. And and those first couple of years just get glossed over, yeah. and it, it – and but when you're living it, let me tell you something. Like working uh, a side project when you're also doing a full time job, um, and, and you're making relatively little money from it. Uh, I mean, in the first first ten months or eight months I did this work for, I made zero dollars. So and then you have then you're married or you have a significant right. I was other. married, and then I and then in the first you know nine months into the sporkful, or ten months into the sporkful, uh, eleven months in. Uh, my first child was born in the third year. Our second child was born. And so, you know, like I certainly identify with Alex Bloomberg's podcast with Startup. I mean, it's like it's really your whole family is is in it. And it was definitely not easy. It wasn't easy for my wife at times because, you know, I was inspired to start The Sporkful because I had worked on a few uh I had been laid off from a number of jobs just because the media field is very unstable. And on top of that, sort of recession after recession. Um, and I had been laid off and was sort of like at my wits end. Like, how am I ever going to get a job that I actually like that I can hold on to? And I felt like starting my own thing, at least, you know, no one can cancel it but me. But right. But it was it was, you know, it certainly wasn't anything that could support my family in the first few years. And... In the meantime, it was taking away, you know, there were times that I was working on it on the weekends or working on it till late at night, um, and it required my wife to often be the one dealing with, with our kids uh, much more um, so that I could have extra time on the side to be doing this other thing. And so, you know, I, I, I do believe that if you have an idea and a take that's really different and can really get it, is really going to stand out that, you know... I am a believer in the idea that that the web is a meritocracy, but you have to have a way to push it out there, and you and you have to be prepared for the fact that it's going to take a long time, you know. And and yeah, I, to, to some yeah, to some extent, it's almost a war of attrition. It, no, totally. I'm writing that in my I'm writing this podcast or book, and that's like a section of it is attrition because you have to want it to the point where you're like willing to die for this because no one else cares. If you don't do your show, no one's going to miss it because. Like that's just the state of affairs is that if you launch something and you like I, I launched my show on a Monday and it doesn't go on until Wednesday, like the first month I podcast, no one missed it. Like it didn't matter. Right. And so the people give up and think about all those podcasts on iTunes that have one or two shows that people never return back to or, or worse, the people that never even tried. So if you stick at this and play the long game, it seems like that I mean, that's definitely worked for you. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, totally, and you know, and it, it just takes so it takes so damn long to what's your, to like, break through. What's your driving passion? Is it the food part or the because like, you picked a very specific brand to go with, and like what? Like I imagine it sounds like you were the guy who cooked a lot and you had funny takes on stuff, but uh, like how? What made you like this? Let's let's talk about the soggy grilled cheese. Oh. So, can you explain? <laughs> let's we got to get back to that. Can yeah. you explain what that is? Well, and so your theory around it. 
and then talk about like let's let's analyze like why you why you picked that like this is such a unique spin but also it's such a a funny way to think about food that you know it's not like on the cooking channels or any you know, top chef you got to be like professional serious focused chef but you are taking this as an angle you're a consumer and eater and like more relatable yeah, and, and that was sort of one of the original concepts. I mean, the, the grilled cheese thing is basically like you make a grilled cheese sandwich, you take it off the griddle, and the bread on the top and bottom, the outsides of the bread are going to be crispy, golden brown, buttery, crispy deliciousness, and it's hot. And when you put that sandwich down flat on a plate, the underside of the sandwich, the bottom, that is going to is going to be heat and steam and condensation and moisture and that will make that formerly crispy bread will quickly turn soggy. And so now only the top of the grilled cheese is crispy and the bottom is soggy. Um, and that's a shame. Like, crispy is delicious. Like, that's you want it crispy, you know? So if you just take that grilled cheese sandwich and slice it in half diagonally and then stand the two halves up, like like peaks, like mountain peaks, you get, uh-huh. you get airflow all the way around and you get... Um, you get crisp. You get crisp on on the on all sides of your grilled cheese. So it, that's just sort of one of those things that, like, I'm the kind of person that will notice. Like, I'll order a grilled cheese at a diner, and it will come, and I will pick it up, and I will bite into it, and I will notice that the bottom is soggy. And I, well, I was certainly not the best science student out there. I know enough to know heat, heat, <laughs> condensation, moisture. Like, that's what's going on here. That's why it turns soggy. And if it, there were airflow then it wouldn't turn soggy. And so, you know, like, like to me, it, it, it almost, like sometimes I can't believe that, that I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm like, really? People aren't already doing this? Like, it seems so obvious to me. <laughs> yeah, but, oh, for soggy grilled cheeses. Yeah, or, or whatever the, the thing is. But, um, but no, I Your mean. kids are either going to be geniuses or completely eccentric. <laughs> well, I actually don't know that those things are mutually exclusive. <laughs> but, um, but in general, it's your general question, Ryan. I mean, um, when I was starting out, my, the first thing was I wanted to start a podcast. I mean, I come from the world of radio. I love making radio. I'm very passionate about it. Um, and so I wanted to start a podcast. And the Sporkful was the best idea that I had for a podcast. The idea was to do something about food and eating that would focus on eating. And the initial idea was just that it was going to be to talk about very basic foods, foods that everyone knows, that everyone eats, whether it's grilled cheese or ice cubes or pizza or peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, but to analyze them in ridiculous detail, to talk about the most specific points like what's the best way to fold a slice of pizza or what's the best way to layer the peanut butter and jelly in a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? When is it better to slice a sandwich diagonally versus you know vertically? All these kinds of things. And to really like question every little underlying assumption and I, I just remember saying the, the, the mantra to myself before I started that the more detail I can get into on each topic, the better it would be. Yep. And, and always pushing myself when I, if I felt like I didn't have enough to say on a topic, not to broaden the scope, but instead to drill down and try to think of like, but what's the next level? Like what's, you know, peel back another layer and find you know, okay, what's the next thing about peanut butter and jelly that you could say? What's the next question about peanut butter and jelly? Like, don't add peanut butter and banana. That's a different show. You know, think of something else about peanut butter and jelly. And so, um, so, you know, to be honest, 
when I started it, my, my gut told me that I, I thought it was pretty different, and and I certainly got that it sort of jived with my quirky personality. Yeah. But it wasn't until I'd been doing it for a little while that I actually fully grasped, first of all, that like I should have been doing this way earlier. Like it fit with my personality in to a level that I hadn't understood. And then also like you mean like you, you should have been like getting your ideas out there more publicly or like I should have been like doing something about food with this kind of quirky approach this hyper detailed sort of OCD approach I'm back outside again and it's a Dan Pashman day on the stories from the influencer economy podcast make sure to check out the sporkful podcast it's hilarious like great funny takes on food as well as his book, Eat More Better. It's a really good read, broken down into like funny chapters. Planes are flying overhead. It's the theme of my intro-outros, as you can tell, I record next to an airport. So anyway, loved having Dan on. And uh, this will be a se- there will be a second episode as well. He was so good. We'll have a part two that I'll put up in the next uh, little while. But I uh, wanted to get the first episode up about his brand. I think that's a really cool story about how he built a food brand around eating which you don't really hear of. And, you know, what stuck with me is he said the 1% of food critics, 99% of the food critics talk about the 1% of content around eating. And there's so much more fun stuff. And food and meals are a great opportunity to uh, give people some humor in their day. So anyway, um, heading over to Duke's Eberts to meet uh, all the gang at Gino's for some chicken in the pot. This reference is actually related to food. I'll give you a quick synopsis, but the first time I met Larry King was at a place called Duke Zebert's in Washington, D.C. And on his old radio show, he used to say that he'd go to Duke Zebert's for some chicken in the pot. And so he met uh, me there um, the first time I ever hung out with him. Long story short, um, I will get into this story in another podcast. So heading over to Duke Zebert's for some chicken in the pot. Oh, 